Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, audio listeners. A quick heads up before this episode starts. We always let you know that we have video versions of the show, but today's episode is 100% one that you want to see the video version of because we have very special guest Rob Pryor, who is an amazing artist, live painting behind us as we talk. The show is still 100% understandable in its audio form, but for the full experience, and trust us, you don't want to miss it, head on over to youtube.com slash the command zone podcast to check it out. All right, on with the show. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Yes. So, um, I've got a new, I've got a new idea here. Okay. It's name that tune. Okay. We'll start with an easy one. <laughs> just you know to get us going, and, and and all the listeners out there can play as play along as oh, well. Okay. okay ready? Right. Just yeah. you know, as soon as you know it. So this will be a, this will be a race between the two of you. <laughs> okay. Do, 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 do. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Do, 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 do. Rob, where were you on that one? He got it in like seconds. <laughs> Is, was I flat? Was I not? Um... Well, I, I was going to go Kolchak the Night Stalker from the 70s, but okay. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. Because I know exactly what it is. <laughs> it's still Lord and, of the Rings, Rob. It, oh. <laughs> it's been it all I'm, long. I'm leaving now. <laughs> um, all right. How's it going, everybody? You are listening to an episode of The Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Where are we? We're in an art studio. Yeah, it's a very different setting for our podcast than normal. That's why you hear a little bit more echo. That's why you hear cars and people walking outside. Transient and some background people. <laughs> some transients as well. Just We're in the, the heart of Hollywood, uh, as it is. Uh, before we start the show, though... Let's do some shout-outs. First up, our sponsor for the show is CardKingdom.com. If you guys want to buy Magic product, Magic singles, anything in the Magic universe, go to CardKingdom.com slash Command Zone. That's our affiliate link. And if you guys go there, you'll see all of their wonderful inventory. They ship stuff super fast. Rob's going there right now using our affiliate link. And it helps support the show. So thank you guys very much for that. Yeah, make sure to pre-order that. Is it pre-ordered still at this point? Yes, it is. The uh, Modern Masters 2017 stuff. That set looks insane. Can't Absolutely wait. insane. Every card that they spoil is more insane than the last one. So go order that stuff. Also, the other best way to support the show is directly on patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, every single episode, we call out one lucky patron. And this show is dedicated to 
Andre Traber. Traber? Traber. How would you pronounce that, Rob? Traber. Traber. Andre Traber. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You got to roll your tongue when you do it. Traber. If it was Scottish. Andre Traber. Traber. Thank you, Andre. Thank you for supporting the show. Again, patreon.com slash command zone. Also, make sure to check out Game Nights episode four. Josh spent close to 80 hours editing this last episode. Uh, it's a good one. We play two games with monocolored decks from Ether Revolt. So it's a lot of fun. You can see that all on our channel, youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. Yeah, that takes a while. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the big question everybody's asking is, who is this guy? Yeah, I ask that every day. <laughs> so Rob Pryor is the guy to my right. He is a world-renowned artist. You're really known, lately at least, for live painting on stage. Yeah. Who have you live painted with? We're talking uh, Flo Rida. Florida. Lincoln <laughs> uh, Park. Lincoln Park. Tech Ooh. Nine. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you also paint a lot at like um, conventions and stuff. I've seen you at Comic Con. A little less like this that. year, yeah. but but still, I'll be. I have a I have a full schedule. The we, summer is the convention season too, right? It gets really hectic in the summers. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It's um, it's really hectic, and uh, plus you've got the big ones. You've got like San Diego, and right. you've got a bunch of that. And then I'm also doing a tour across Asia. Oh, uh, starting in March. So every month I'm somewhere in Asia, and then I fly back into it. Yeah, when people say they're like big in Japan or big in China, Rob actually is very big over there. Um, Rob actually had you had a piece in the Louvre. Yep. Um, recently, that's uh, an accomplishment. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It's like stick figures bleeding. <laughs> um, Welcome to the artist struggle, by the, the way. The bleeding is true, but the stick figure part is not. Uh, Rob, you've also worked on a lot of TV shows and movies. Yeah. Um, when I met you, I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer was what you were going on. Buffy. That was a long time ago. Uh, Rob and I, if you didn't know, are old friends. Yes. That's, I, that's how I got here. <laughs> that's <laughs> completely untrue. Um, <laughs> before we begin, where can people find you online? What are, what are you, like your Twitters and such? Do you even know? <laughs> Um, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Robpryor.com. That was easy. Nice. Because, you know, that's my name. His Twitter is uh, prior to art, the number two. And my Instagram is also prior to yeah, art. Pretty yeah, pretty much if you Google, if you Google prior, P-R-I-O-R, the number two and art, then That'll Rob's going to yeah. pop up all over the place. That's a good uh, name, by the way. That's a, I like the, uh, the wordplay there. I was trying prior for art, but then that was just, it just didn't work. <laughs> I'm glad he came around to two art. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Too. So we're going to do a really interesting episode today because we have Rob here and we're doing this painting thing. And we're not actually going to get really deep about magic on this episode. We're actually going to talk about the creative process. And Jimmy and I, and we haven't talked a lot about our day jobs on the show before. Uh, nope. We've had some little bit of success in the entertainment business and the movie business and the TV business, as it were. Fluffing Rob- animals. That <laughs> <laughs> was my job before this. Rob, um, Rob's also in that world, and we thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about the process of creating and being in a creative industry. Um, yeah. So let's let's start, Rob, here with talking about the painting that you're going to do today. I'm I'm painting Cinderella, <laughs> as you can tell, the, as you can the, tell in the background. This is as she wakes up, uh, you know, in the morning before makeup. Before. <laughs> and um, yeah. so you might see back there, Rob has uh, sort of set up. What would you call that? Is it sort of a plan? Is it a roadmap? Like how does it's a that- roadmap? Um, you know, it, it depends when I'm when I'm going really fast. I'll I'll prep it and then I'll project it so I can get it bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's funny. Uh, let me say something about yeah. creative process. Um, a lot of people will be like, you use a projector. Yes, I use a projector. There was going to be 
there was going to be a word before that that I'm not allowed to do here. <laughs> so, you know, here's the thing. There's a skill in projecting as well, but if, if you project and then you, you change it and you change it up, that's fine. It takes me a couple of hours or an hour to draw something freehand. It takes mm-hmm. me minutes to project it. Time is money. And that's unfortunate, but how, how things have to be looked at. So anybody out there using projector, it's okay. Right. And you're talking about when you're about to paint something, you project an image on there and use that as a guideline. Yeah, as a yeah. guideline. Absolutely. Um, well, I think we're going to see, too, that once you start going, that's just the starting plan, right? And, and Yeah, and- it's, it simply is it's a guideline when you're painting something, especially how I paint, because I, I literally just shut my eyes and literally and throw stuff go into the zone we didn't so mention and you'll see this on the thing but rob uh is a two-handed he's an ambidextrous and literally paints with both hands in fact that rob, means i i can i can pet a cat <laughs> and i don't know where i'm going and scratch time. a dog at the same time there, is that there a we euphemism? go it's, it's, yeah, yeah. No. Um, i've actually seen you working on two paintings at the same separate paintings at the same time yep yeah, so we'll talk to you, I think, a little bit about that at the end after people get a chance to watch it. Because until you've seen it, I think it's hard to understand. Like, It's not that impressive. <laughs> I was just saying. Rob also had recently had surgery on this bicep. Yep. So To make it bigger. Yeah. To me, yeah I was yeah. like, you know, the only way to get my arms bigger at this point is to, <laughs> is to Some, pump them full of plastic and, uh, you know. Looks real good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to start with that sort of idea of, uh, what do we say, Duratan. Duratan, yeah. From, from Warcraft. Uh, Warcraft as sort of jumping off point. And then we're going to see what Rob's, he's going to live paint literally while we're doing the show. So you've got about one hour, Rob. And you said you'd actually be done before, you think, oh, yeah. before. He's looking at him. He's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I can't draw a stick figure in 45 minutes, so. I bet you could draw a stick figure. In I mean, it won't. Minutes. It, I don't know. Muscles. <laughs> We're a stick figure with muscles. Yeah. I can't do muscles. I can barely do the stick part. <laughs> Josh has <laughs> muscles, but he can't draw them. <laughs> um, before you start, though, Rob, I had a quick question. Sure. Did you? So, was was painting and drawing something that you knew that you wanted to do from a young age, or was this something you stumbled into? I don't, sort of I don't later really know. I was given a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, my family line are pretty much artists, but none by profession. So, I was going to be an artist no matter what. Right. And uh, I was being trained from a really, really young age. That was just how it was. And it's going to be interesting to think about as we go into our discussion as well, whether or not you ever get a choice as to what you're doing in life, right? Well, I think there are more people out there that, that think they have a choice, but they don't go into art because, you know, there's this thing where everybody's like, well, you'd be a starving artist. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily true. You can do anything you want to do if you want to do it bad enough. Right. You know, it's a good point. So, you know, it just depends on what you're willing to, to give up, sacrifice, you know, and I don't mean human sacrifice. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, anyway, anyway, maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but humans, that's where we draw the line here on the show. Look, we're sacrificing creatures all the time in Magic the Gathering. That's so, a really good yeah. point. So that's not, a really good point. It's not too far of a stretch yeah, for us. The show got life. really dark quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, I think we're going to let you get to it then. And Josh and I are going to continue the show. I very much look forward to occasionally checking in and looking back and seeing what's going on. I'm very excited. I'll probably just, he'll be passed out or sleeping on the ground. <laughs> we'll be like, he's not doing anything. It's and part. then we'll blink and we'll look back and be like, wait. <laughs> part of the creative process. I always did think it was kind of like a magic, not like the card game, but like actual magic, what you did. So. Yeah. It, it is. That's what the animal is for. <laughs> right. Um, so, Demonic magic. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, somewhere somebody's going to get this going, he was serious. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, 
I usually won't hear you because I'll have music in. Mm-hmm. So. We may stop you throughout if that's okay to just yeah. ask you a couple questions here and there as, sure. we're, as we go through the conversation. Is that okay? No. <laughs> um, next question. <laughs> uh, sweet. All right. So we're going to get started here. We're going to have Rob uh, begin the painting and we're just going to carry on with the show. So let's. Yeah. You guys can talk about the creative process and. Uh, and you can do the creative process. When you, when you see it, it's going to be, you're going to be like, why is he even, how did he get hired? <laughs> <laughs> this is, well, we'll talk about this because this is a big part of being an artist and in the creative world is this sure. thought that constantly nags at you that you are, you're a con man, that you're not real, right? That's true. Yeah. There's this nagging thought in the back of your head at all times I have that, this medicine that, that you have fooled, <laughs> that you have fooled you everyone Josh and that at any years, moment, actually. at <laughs> any moment, they're going to discover that you're not actually the thing and that you've been fooling them the whole time. I, I guarantee that you have that. You probably too. I'm an actor. It's literally yeah. what I do. I've never, <laughs> ta- I've never talked to a, a successful point. person in the creative industry that doesn't have that nagging thought on some level. Yeah. All right. Well, with that positive vibe, yeah. let's get into wow. it. Wow. But, so but you're not a con man. I'm here to tell you, you're not a con man. You're the real deal. You I, just got to embrace it. In about half an hour, get me out of the corner because I'll be crying. Um, <laughs> So we often get asked on the show, like, hey, I want to make a podcast. Hey, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I want to I want start to, a YouTube channel. I want to do something like this. Where do I get started? What do I do? And we haven't really gone super deep into like a, a step-by-step process because oftentimes there is no step-by-step process that works for something like the idea of content creation. Um, there are always good rules to follow, but in the, overall, it's just, it feels like a much more nebulous thing. Yeah, I I think I've talked about this idea on the show before, Jimmy, about how, and I know you've been through this, when you're in a creative field, especially the movie business, Mm -hmm. you get asked often by people, a lot of times you'll get like an email from like, I don't know, a friend's mom who'll be like, my nephew wants to get, will you talk to them? They want to get into the movie business. And so you have these talks about sort of getting into creative fields with Mm -hmm. people over the years. and. We thought this could kind of be similar to that. So if yeah. you're interested in the creative process, in maybe even just as a hobby or, or, or you know, getting involved in something creative that's not even a career, yeah. um, we're hoping that some of our stories and experiences can maybe help you just along that path. There's, the thing about the creative industry of any kind is there's no roadmap of do A, B, and C and you'll get to here. That's just not yeah. how those, those businesses or, or that kind of endeavor works. I would say life does emulate that in a lot of ways. Now, obviously, if you're like going to get a very corporate job, there is a much more clear A, B, and C to get to somewhere to an elevated position or whatever. But at the same time, a lot of life is built on the like small like steps that you don't realize you're taking but actually end up having a large effect over the course of a career or whatever you're doing. So I think it's a good idea for us to start from the outset as just like, because who are we? Why are we talking about this and why should you listen to us? Well, like I said, we have had some success in, mm-hmm. in this industry. So you want to talk about really quickly, Jimmy, just like the things you've been involved with yeah. uh, just to set the stages. So a lot of you might know me as an actor. It's what I started out in Los Angeles as originally. I've been in a lot of different shows. I've made YouTube channels over the years. I'll just give a quick breakdown of what I've been in. The biggest thing I've been in is a show called Video Game High School, which Josh worked on some of the trailers for. That's how I actually originally met Josh. Uh, it is a series that was created by my brother and his friends, uh, and it's on Netflix, it's on YouTube, it's about an, an alternate reality that's set in the same timeline as where we are right now, 
but video games are sort of the main sport of the world. Uh, I call it the Harry Potter of video games. Uh, I play the Ron Weasley-esque character in that true. show. It's so true. <laughs> over three seasons. Um, and uh, it was a blast. It was sort of how I got my first big acting start. Uh, before then, I had been in a couple of movies, and I joined the union and stuff. But that was what really pushed me into a more of a larger spotlight. And let's not downplay it here. Video Game High School is basically the biggest web series that's ever been created. Ever, the, yeah. View-wise and, and yeah, yeah. The number of views per episode are in the millions. It's basically of similar scale as far as the amount of people that watch it as like Mad Men or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's very, very big. Yeah, I would suggest you guys check it out if you enjoy video games and sort of like cheesy, fun humor. Um, I also did music on YouTube for a full year. That's where I originally made like a first viral video doing that. And past that, I made a cooking show called Feast of Fiction that still exists today. And in the last year and a half, I've been working a lot with Riot Games uh, to be a host for a lot of their community content and collegiate content. And that's basically my career in LA up until now. This year is sort of a sort of like, it's a grind. So every year it's not like, oh, this year I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. This year I'm actually getting, I've, I, you know, I've got more official representation. I'm signed by Gersh and I'm pitching some shows around town. That's sort of what my trajectory is this year. And I'm hoping to get a couple of shows made. So that's where I'm at right now. What about you, Josh? Um, I started, moved to LA like everybody else wanted to make movies. I did a bunch of short films. Um, Rob and I actually know each other because he was the production designer on a short film that I talked about long ago on the show. It's called Eli. Uh, we'll link it in the show notes because it is available on YouTube. Did it about, oh, geez, 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, the first sort of big film that I worked on where I directed that the trucks actually pulled up, you know, you know, and yeah. we actually had like a grip and lighting department and everything. Uh, we had an actor named David Anders who's, I think he was on like the Vampire Diaries. And I think he's on iZombie now as the lead. Yeah, you would recognize him as soon as you saw him. We'll put a picture up as well for the video. Yeah, so that was kind of the first big foray. I'd done a bunch of smaller short films before that. Um, And then I also got involved uh, as an editor doing movie trailers uh, around around that time, uh, a little earlier. And I worked my way up, as many people do. I started, like, running tapes and making coffee. Um, I will talk about our past, uh, you know, experience as as sort of younger people – further on in the show, but I did have a background, so I knew how to edit. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done trailers. And I, people don't understand how the trailer industry works. The Most people think that the people who make the movies actually make the trailers for the movies and the previews, but that's not how it works at all. The studios hire out uh, subcontractors. Uh, they'll usually hire a number of different companies to do trailers for the same movie. So let's say you're working on The Avengers, which is a movie I did work on. The studio, which at that time was Disney, will hire maybe four or five different companies. And, and they'll say, we want trailers from each of your companies. And each company is going to have two or three, maybe four of their editors do different trailers. So you're competing against you know somewhere around 20 different people who are trying to make a trailer for that movie. And at the end of the day, they'll go through a long process, but one will get picked. That'll be the trailer that you see in theaters. And then movies like The Avengers will have multiples. And so I was mm-hmm. in that process for many movies over the years. Um, my big break uh, was I cut the trailer for a movie called Evan Almighty, which was the sequel to Bruce Almighty when I was working at Universal. Uh, I also worked on movies like Wanted, Fast and Furious, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. I worked uh, on some movies I can't talk about because they haven't come out yet. You made the iconic trailer for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which that's, was one of my favorite trailers of all time. That's my favorite trailer that I've ever done. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I got to work with Edgar Wright on that one. That was really cool. He's a really cool guy. So that's been sort of my career up till this point. But I did move to L.A. 
to make movies as a director. So that's something that if we're talking about this year and the trajectory that we'd like to be on, that's something that I, I've set as a goal for this year is to sort of get behind the camera more and tell some more stories. As, as I sit in front, in front of the, of the camera. camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and Game Nights is a way to sort of uh, stretch that muscle mm-hmm. and to sort of get back in the flow of that, which cause, because it is storytelling and it is, you know, it, it does ha- use a lot of your directing chops i'd say so yeah well when you're editing it together and josh does the full edit from beginning to finish he is essentially piecing together the story through our us saying stuff uh, if you're really listening closely you hear he adrs in specific lines to give more context for a scene there's a lot that goes behind putting one of those episodes together and it's really impressive uh, well thank you i mean <laughs> jimmy does a lot of work he's downplaying it but he does all the the color uh, you'll notice if you're a patron that we we put out a rough version of game nights and then if you compare that to the final version that gets shown the color is vastly different every single shot jimmy goes through and make sure that the color is balanced correctly and um also make that sriracha shirt pop too <laughs> and also he does all the sound mixing which is another big part i think people don't think about of the movie but you need to make sure that every single word and syllable is you can hear it but then there's also music and there's sound effects and so at what point does the music take over and does the sound effect come in and how does it not clash with everything and and there's a lot of nuance to that too and and jimmy also does you know, one of the things that's amazing about YouTube is, is all the people in the YouTube space have this great ability to know a lot about a lot of different parts of production. Right. And so Jimmy knows a lot about the camera setup and the lighting and all the rest of that stuff that goes into actually like we have six cameras for game nights. Yeah. There's got to be like three or four microphones. There's there's got to be lighting and the lighting has to be in situated in such a manner that it doesn't get in the way of sh- different shots when you go to them. Cause you don't want to just see lights sitting there all the time. And you don't want the cards to be too glossed over. So there's a lot of considerations that go into it. YouTubers do have this thing though, where we started out making videos ourselves and editing and uploading and doing the whole process. So you eventually pick up all of those different aspects. And I've learned a lot as well through Freddie, uh, sort of being in the production world, he went to film school and stuff. So you, you just sort of pick up stuff. Every time I watch a movie now, it's never the same because I cannot watch the movie. I watch every element of the movie and process it different. I mean, I watch movies multiple times just because I'm like, I need to pay attention to the acting this time around and I forget everything else. Or like, I really want to learn about the shots that Spielberg used here. So, you know, you watch it just for that. Okay, before we get into more of the creative process, um, a lot of people usually are curious about this sort of stuff. Uh, We're going to talk very briefly about our lives in general, sort of where we grew up, where we went to school, what brought us to LA. And then we're going to dive deep into what being creative actually means. So, Josh, where did you grow up? I'm a Pacific Northwest kid, just like you. I grew up a little bit south. You're Seattle. I was Portland area. Mm -hmm. little town called Canby, Oregon. Very small when I was growing up. I think it had less than 5,000 people. It's ballooned now. It's huge. It's like 14,000. What uh, what got you interested in entertainment? Was it something that you did in high school or? You know, it's funny because my – it's just a little bit of luck. My, my dad always loved movies, and we, we watched a lot of movies as kids. And then my dad ended up running the local access cable mm-hmm. channel of our little town. Ah. And so I'm the guy that kind of grew up with a camera in his hand because my dad just always had the equipment. And so I learned to edit, and I'm going to put that in quotes because it wasn't editing like we know it now. But I learned to edit at a very young age, maybe mm-hmm. like six or seven, about how to like cut together pictures. And I was playing with the cameras in the backyard. So I was very... Lucky in that respect. I also had access to, this is going to sound funny, but there's what we call nonlinear editing, which is what just editing is now. But when editing first was on a computer for the first time, it was revolutionary because it used to be that if you were editing something together and you wanted to change something in the middle, you couldn't keep everything that happened after that. Yeah. 
but because computers didn't exist. So you had to sort of recut everything that you'd cut. And so I remember when it was called Avid, the first Avid editor yep. was, uh, was available. My dad actually managed to get enough funding to get it at the local access cable channel. And so we had access to it. I think I was like 12-ish. Oh, wow. And uh, so I was in there learning that. So that's one of the reasons I say, like, oh, I was lucky. I already knew how to edit when mm-hmm. I came to L.A. Did you find that you were naturally drawn to it? Or just do you think your dad, having already been in that industry, helped out a lot? Yeah, it's hard to say. I hear, and this, I'm not, these are going to sound like grandiose comparisons, but mm-hmm. I'm not equating myself to these people. But the stories you hear of people like Magic Johnson, who used to just, he would ride in the passenger side of the car on the way to school and dribble the basketball out the car, out the car window. Or Bill Gates just happened to have access to one of the first early punch card systems where yep. he could be programming. Um, School schedules yeah. and classroom schedules, actually. Yeah, and, and so, but that, they just happened to have that available to them. I think it was at the library uh, where he lived or the school or whatever. Yeah, and it was high one school, of the, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it was one of the few in the nation, and Bill Gates just happened to be there, right? So is Bill Gates a genius, or is he just a person that happened to have access to something at that age that nobody else had access to? It's hard to, it's hard to separate those things, and I'm not saying I'm a genius. I'm just saying that... I don't know whether or not I had a natural gravity Mm -hmm. towards that stuff or whether just access to it sort of gave me that. But I I do know that I always wanted to, quote unquote, make movies since I was, you know, an early teenager for sure. Yeah. So how about you? Was, you know, the thing is, I don't want to say the acting thing because Mm -hmm. the stuff you're involved in is so much more than that. But was getting involved in the entertainment industry and the creative business something that always was in your mind as something you want to do or did you sort of fall into it? It definitely was something I fell into, I think, from a young age and just going back to looking at like me being in like my preschool musical or whatever, I was always inclined to entertain Mm -hmm, more mm -hmm. than the idea of I'm going to be in the business, I'm going to do entertainment. Um, I was always a very, very active kid. I was very loud. I was very boisterous um, and a lot of energy. So I was happy to perform. Performing wasn't something that scared me. I didn't have that sort of stage fright. Now, other things, like if you asked me to do, I don't know, like at the time, like write a paper, you know, that would terrify me, but like go up and say something in front of a thousand people. Sure. Whatever. Uh, and Freddie had, it was also lucky in that our dad was, you know, he was a big technophile guy. He loved technology. He bought like the first Mac, he bought the NES when it first came out and was fascinated by all of it. And, uh, he got a camera for Freddie when, for sort of the family to record stuff. And Freddie and I sort of took it from him and we started making our own mini videos at home when we were really young. We loved Star Wars. So we would take the pool cues from our like mini play pool set and film each other. And then Freddie would go in and painstakingly rotoscope every single frame and then add some sound effects. Yeah, so we would have these lightsaber battles together. And that was like the sort of the first foray of us into like, oh, cool, we can make our own home videos. Freddie took that a step further in high school by making a full movie and doing a lot of the VFX stuff that ended up being his channel later. I wasn't as involved with the filmmaking process at that point, and I hadn't done much acting. I think I was just more of like a, I want to play video games as a kid. Um, but when I got to college and when I got to outside of, at the end of high school, I started getting more interested in performance and I started being in more plays because I was like, I can meet cute girls this way. Uh, and that sort of drew me into it. And I also just found that I enjoyed doing it. Like I remember doing a mini stand-up set for whatever reason at like a school auditorium thing. And the thrill I got from having people interact with me laughing and like being able to talk to a bunch of people was that, something. That audience response, right? Yeah, the audience response was something I never forgot. Um, and, you know, being so active on the internet as kids as well, I think really contributed to us being comfortable doing YouTube uh, like I've never had a problem, you know, trying to figure out how Twitter works or how YouTube comments work, you know, or how to just talk with an online audience. Cause we were using instant messenger as really young kids. So 
what I think really drew me into it is just a combination, like you said, it's a combination of experiences you have as a kid that, you know, it's what you know best and it's what you're most comfortable doing. And if you're able to translate that into a career, and fortunately for us, the entertainment career is something that sort of molds well into that, then you're going to hopefully enjoy what you're going to be doing later on and, and hopefully use what you grew up with. You know that story you tell about using the pool cubes as the mm-hmm. lightsabers? It's funny because it just made – I haven't thought about this in years actually. When I was in high school, we did a movie and it was magic. Yeah. And it was the magic the game. And somebody threw a fireball and somebody had a counterspell. It, it was – we didn't have After Effects then. We had like old school like Amiga. Nobody's going to know what that is. But yeah, so I remember somebody summoned like a, um, a veteran bodyguard and mm-hmm. somebody else killed it with a royal assassin. It was kind of like Kitchen Table Fables almost. Man, Amazing. I forgot I even did that. You should just – we should just upload that to the channel. I don't know. I have to, <laughs> it's probably on an old VHS somewhere anyway. Something about that though that I think is really important is that like the videos we made when we were kids, they didn't look good. All right. It wasn't like well done at all. In fact, they were sloppy. No, they look silly. They look silly. They look really dumb. But you know, when you watch it as a kid, you're like, it's one, you, you know the hard work put into it because you put the hard work in. And it doesn't matter what the quality level is because you're doing it for the love and the passion you have for that thing. And that applies across any medium. It doesn't need to be art necessarily. And I think that's one of the main things that helps drive us as artists today. But we'll get more into that. How about college? Did you continue this into It's funny you university? should mention because I went to college and they didn't have a film program at the school I went to and I didn't have a lot of money for school. So I just went to a little school and mm-hmm. they had a theater. Ah. They had a theater uh, a, a group. And so that's how I got into – and I'd done it a little in high school because, again, in high school, it's kind of the closest thing I could get. And right. the performance and the audience reaction thing is definitely very powerful. And I think anybody that's involved in entertainment, even if you're a director or whatever, has that gene where they like the audience to be reacting in the way that they had planned for them to react, right? Right. They're, it just tickles that part of your brain, whether or not you like to actually stand in front of the people. I've also been like you where I've never had a problem. Just like if somebody wanted me to give an impromptu speech, I would just probably be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for whatever reason. But I, It's thrilling for me. It's like, yeah, but it's tough for a lot of people. And I understand that, you know, like my girlfriend, for instance, would never – do it. She just be. She would 100% refuse because she hates being in front of crowds. And right. so, the theater thing was natural for me. So I, I went into the theater. It's where I learned improv. Um, and so many of these things, and I, I think you're probably the same way. Things like improv and in, in mm-hmm. school and whatnot. It seems really narrow when you're learning it, and you learn as you go through life that all the lessons learned and things like that are so useful in other areas of your life. Yeah, cross applying lessons learned in every single aspect of your life is one of the best things I've sort of like learn to innately do. And I think a lot of us already do it without realizing it. And the more you can sort of hone in on that, the the better you're going to have time in life, <laughs> I think. So basically for me, yeah, that was school. I, I did theater and um, the re- I, we have down here a decision to move to LA. What happened is one of my friends from my improv group had moved, had got into the filmic writing school at University of Southern California, USC, mm-hmm. where Freddie went, um, which is sort of the Harvard law of film schools. And I came down to visit him. This was a couple years after I was done with school. And I was in L.A. visiting my friends. And we just, I remember we went to a movie. And we were in line for the movie. And the people behind us were, like, talking about a script they'd wrote. And the people in front of us were talking about an audition they had. We went to dinner afterwards. And there was, like, an agent talking to his, you know, screenwriter client at the table. And there was, like, you know, I think, um, like, Michael Clark Duncan was, like, at a table over there. Oh, wow. And, you know, God rest his soul. Um, and I was just like, I have to move here because everyone around me is just like, they're talking about movies, they're talking about creative things. And the vibe of the city was just like magnetic to me. Right. And I literally went home and I gave the notice of my apartment and I didn't really have a great plan, but I was like, I'm moving to LA. 
Nice. And that's how I decided to move. How about you? Let's talk about, uh, you know. So college was. Higher education. Yeah, yeah. higher education, right? Um, so I, I grew up in Seattle and Freddie went to USC film. And at the time I was like, I don't really want, because I've always been his younger brother and he has had an enormous amount of success. So it's always hard to feel like, you know, like, oh, you're trapped in the shadow of your, of your older, more successful, popular sibling or whatever. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to go to the same area of school as Freddie. I did actually apply to like Pomona and some schools in the area. I decided, you went way. Yeah, I, I flew across the country and I went to Vermont and I went to a small liberal arts college called Middlebury out there. And um, I think you've worn the shirt on the show. Yes, I've worn the show the shirt a couple of times. I did theater there, but I, ta- I tell this to everyone that asks. I learned more in a year in LA acting wise than I did in four years of theater at college um, because I think the raw experience of getting out there was more effective than any theory or any sort of, because I think being able to, I mean, the same reason that you were drawn to LA and the same reason that when I went to LA, I was like, I should live here is that you are not just practicing it in your head. You're doing it in person. You're, you're, you're physically moving yourself to do the things that are going to make you better as an artist. Um, So the reason I came to LA, I was deciding between here and New York I came to LA because one, Freddie was here and we could share a rent and make it a lot cheaper. It's a big thing though. And uh, I, I think I understood the basic idea of like, if people are here and they're doing the thing that are similar to you, you're better off being close to them because then you're open to meeting them, collaborating with them, being friends with them, working with them in the future, helping them out when they need it. So that was like very obvious to me. And I moved out to LA and for the first year, again, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't make any money. Freddie had to support me the entire time. Regardless, we were still only paying like 250 bucks in rent a month because because we shared a room in uh, five different people, and we both slept in the same bed in this tiny nine Dude. by eleven room for a full year. I love those stories. I, I've t- I tell this story to a lot of people when they move to LA because it, it's tough. And I'm not. I'm just going to use LA to stand in for any place like this: New York, Chicago. Anytime people are very often scared to move to that place that's away from their home and their safety. And it's always going to be rough for a little while. And, mm-hmm. and so many people have gone through it. And my philosophy is always like, there's 10 million people in L.A. Yeah. If 10 million people can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And when I first moved to L.A., you know what I did? I sold my EverQuest account. <gasps> and I used that money as the down payment on the apartment with my buddy. Nice. And when we paid for first and last month's rent and security deposit, we had $23 between the two of us to our name. And we went to the grocery store because we weren't getting paid for two weeks. We were both waiters. And uh, we said, what's the most food we can buy for $23? And it was mac and cheese and top ramen. So that we just got as much of that as we could. Lived off that for three or four days. So we had, a, you know, enough money from tips. And then- It's interesting you say you sold your EverQuest account because the one thing that changed when I went to college was I quit playing World of Warcraft obsessively. Um, Speaking of which. Yeah, right. Uh, and it was a huge change for me because at that point I was obsessed with the game. I didn't do anything else but play that game. And there was, I, I, you know, you don't see it when you're in the middle of it, but there's literally no future for, for someone that wants to do anything else in life if you're just going to play a video game obsessively. Yeah, um, like I think they're great escapes and they're great to play, but once you get to the level where that's your life, yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> the, I, that, the, the, the map of that road going forward is not, yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Um, okay, so now you're so, in L.A. So now we're both in L.A., and it. oh oh i should mention because i get asked i've gotten asked this multiple times now never took one class on editing ah. i've never taken a course of any kind that had to do with editing now i've learned many things along the way because over the course of becoming an editor and sort of you know being around other editors mm-hmm. you end up talking about things but as far as like ever having any sort of like 
real actual class? Have not have you've taken acting classes? I'm I've sure taken sure. acting classes. Out of all the acting classes I've taken, the improv classes were by far the most influential uh, because they taught me a mentality above a skill. If that makes sense, the mentality of improv, and Josh obviously knows this, and you'll hear this a lot, is the idea of yes and. And I think it's the heart of all collaboration is being able to say yes and instead of no, how about, or no, but I want this. So, for instance, if Anything we were, that starts with no, but. Yeah, it's, you're not going to get anywhere. Uh, so, for instance, if we were in an improv scene, I, you know, I would come up to Josh and be like, boy, it is sure hot out on the moon today. And uh-huh. Josh has two roads here you can take. Yes. Now, the, the, notice what happens if he says that. It's sure hot on the moon today. And I go, no, it's not. It's cold. The scene literally dies. There's nothing left. There's no connection between the two other than you're disagreeing with each other. Yep. Or if Josh was like, no, we're in the supermarket. What the heck are you supposed to do then? Now he just killed you. But if I say, yeah, man, the way, the way that aliens pulled the sun so close to us and it's just like frying us like crazy. So by saying yes and, and the and is adding more information, now we know that we're on the moon and that the aliens have something to do with it and that we're there because uh, for whatever reason, but you have a whole world now to work off of. And from that, I can say like, yeah, man, oh gosh, dude, do you still have scars from the cufflinks or whatever? You know, like uh, from the sh- chains, shackles, you know, you can add in more information when you say yes and stuff. And that I think was the most important acting class I've ever taken. But yeah, we, it was, I, I learned improv de- a decade before you, and, and we had a different <laughs> term for it, which was accept all offers. Ah, uh, yes. But yes uh, and is the exact same philosophy. Yeah, it's an offer being like, hey, we're here, we're doing this. Yes, I accept that offer, and I will continue to build upon that. Yeah, um, no classes, huh? Not for editing. Not I, for obviously editing. for improv and theater I did, which has been very helpful on this show. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so we're in L.A., and uh, we're going to talk about career evolution a little bit. We've mm-hmm. taken a little long time on our – longer than we thought on our uh, origin story. So I hope we, <laughs> you'll bear with us. Um, I mean we have to have the, a good origin movie to really set the, <laughs> set the sequel up. Let's talk about – so the first – you're sleeping on a bed with Freddy. Mm-hmm. A twin-sized bed. It was tiny. Oh, a twin? <laughs> yeah, we were, we were doing this. So both of our feet were at each other's head. It's kind of cute actually. Yeah, I would kick him every time he snored. I taught him how to not <laughs> snore after a year. <laughs> <laughs> through conditioned response? I conditioned him, yeah. Because he finally figured out, oh, if I do this, I'm not going to get kicked in the middle of the night. But he was never awake to realize it. So right. it, was a, it was very much a hypnotic sort of thing. That's awesome. Um, so, oh, yeah. You're for, this, you have a really good story for this. So what was your first big break? My first big break, I had a couple of different ones, actually. When I first came to LA, I was like, I'm going to do acting for a full year. Freddie had like 2 million subscribers on YouTube at that point. But I was like, there's no acting on YouTube. It's all skits and dumb things. I don't want to do any of that. And at the time, it's kind of true. Uh, it's changed a lot now, obviously. Um, but uh, I was auditioning and stuff. I like, I was like, if you are an employee of Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, I am the employee that is like, how to pull the fire alarm. Like, that's, <laughs> that's me. awesome. Um, uh, or it might have been, I forget, it, might, it was one of the cruise lines. But after a year, I got into a movie called John Dies at the End, which was a lot of fun. I got Still to work. gets called out for this a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, I got to work with Don Coscarelli, who's a legendary sort of horror film director. He did the Phantasm series. And I met a lot of really great people and learned a lot from doing just like a few days on that set. Chase Williamson, one of the characters, one of the actors that worked on VJHS, is in that show because I met him on that set. After that year, though, I was like, I'm not getting any work. I'm making $0 still. I paid all the money I made from the movie to join the union. And it didn't make a difference. <laughs> so I decided to do YouTube. I decided to do music instead. And uh, this right is the I say, I say this is the really big one. Yeah, this is the this is the break. This is what shot me into continuing everything that I'm doing today for sure. Uh, and it was uh, at the time I was just I was like I'm going to do covers. I'm going to do fun original songs. 
And someone from UCLA, a sorority girl, posted a video online, a rant about Asians in the library and how they were too loud and obnoxious and she needed to study for her very important exams. Um, this also happened about a week after uh, Japan suffered a major tsunami from the earthquake. And so there was a lot of attention on Asia at that point. And she puts out this video making mocking Asians, essentially, with a mock Chinese accent and everything. Yeah, and, and mock Chinese dialogue. Yeah, and I still get called that today, crazily enough, five years later. Uh, that's still around. Freddie uh, looked at me and was like, you should do a song about this. I'm like, I should. Uh, and so I wrote a comedic retort to her that was sort of gently shutting her down. And sort of changing the terminology of the, the words are ching chong, and I changed it into means it means I love you, to sort of take a twist a twist on the whole thing, and that video blew up. I got interviewed by NPR, I was on CNN, CMSNBC, a bunch of different networks and stuff, and that like threw me. Straight, it was like a tidal wave of attention and force driving me forward, and that's sort of what started everything. Yeah, that's the wave <clears throat> you caught that you're in some ways still riding. Yeah, and I would say the interest, the way I tell people about it now is that it was a very good thing to happen because it brought me to the attention of a lot of people. I got to meet a lot of people as a result and work with a lot more people and get sort of have a like baseline of respect from people so that I could like have a conversation with them without being like, who the heck are you? At the same time, it was such a powerful wave of force that I didn't feel like I was ever surfing it. I felt like I was in the tidal wave, tumbling yeah. around, being like, I think I'm going in the right direction. Hope I land somewhere nice. It's almost like you can't control it exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like a wild river, a wild tidal wave. It was just too much for me to control. And I was so young at the time, I didn't understand what it meant to be like, all right, here's how you can take control of your career right now, uh, having done that. Uh, but it was all good things, obviously. It pushed me forward. That's um, still one of my favorite things you've ever done because the brilliance of taking the, the tact that you did is hard to... It's hard to understand if you haven't seen the video, but instead of going at the person in a negative mm-hmm. way, you went at her in a positive way. Yeah. And yeah, the power of that is something I think everybody can learn from. Yeah, and that was a lot from improv, you know. And, yes, and also yes. just like also seeing a lot of people throw death threats at someone. I'm like, no one should ever have a death threat thrown at them. Yeah. Like, and what does that accomplish? And how is that likely to change anyone's mind? We're at the other, yeah. going in the completely other direction and sort of talking about love in that moment is like, I don't know, man. It was really good. <laughs> it was sublime. I may never do anything as good about, as that in the rest of my life. Uh, that's, I guess, what started me into being a social justice warrior, too, uh, I suppose. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> All right, Josh, what about you? Did you have a big break? You know, in the trailer world, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit harder to have that kind of break, although maybe it sort of happens. But I did mm-hmm. have a string of successes. And I talked about before how that industry is a little bit like a bake-off and that there's a lot of people competing. And so... People always ask me, there's two things you get asked as a trailer editor all the time, well, three things. One is, do you get to see the movies first? Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Uh, and they're very unfinished states. Yeah, and, and, and I should say, um, when I say trailer editors, it's a little bit segmented within that group. But the people who cut the long-form trailers that actually go into the theaters and are the ones that sort of premiere online that mm-hmm. are like two minutes or so, those people get to work on the movie very early. And these days, very often, we're seeing every single take from the movie. So we're, we don't even, the movie's not done. So we're, when, when you say, uh, have you seen the movie? There's no movie. There's a bunch of raw footage. Mm-hmm. Do I see all that? Yes. Um, not on every movie too. There's certain directors that only allow you to see certain things. But anyway, the other question is, why do you guys give, always give away the endings? This is your, the audience's fault. Um, when you go into test screenings, just stop asking to see everything and then we'll stop showing it. But the problem is <laughs> when people go into test screenings, they always want to know more. And so then the testing numbers come back and they're like, well, they want to know more. And so you end up putting in way too much stuff because naturally all of us are storytellers and we don't want to give away stuff. 
but the studio is sitting there going like, this is what people want. This will make them go see the movie. Put that in there. Yeah. Reshoot uh, all of this. Spend X number of dollars to, to make this to change work this, for yeah. the audience that didn't like it in the test screening. So what happened is I won the Bake Off, as, as I call it, for that movie, Evan Almighty, which was at the time a big movie for Universal. Didn't end up doing well. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was my first, like, big trailer on a big movie. And, you know, I'd been competing with a lot of people and mine got chosen. And as a result, I got – they. What happens, just like in the acting business or anything else, they start asking for you to work on specific things after that. So let's Mm -hmm. get that Josh guy and try him to do this. And the next movie was this movie called The Kingdom um, with, uh, what's his name, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. And I won that bake-off. And the next movie was Mr. Bean's Holiday. (laughs) I didn't know uh, you did the trailer for that. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a lot you don't know about me, Jimmy. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> and I won that Bake Off. And the next movie was Wanted. And Wanted was, I would call it my big break, but it was led by those things. I never would have got that opportunity. And right. in Wanted, I really was, there's a point you get to, and, and, and you probably know this too, which is when you've got a lot of success behind you, the power that you're wielding at that moment is very strong. And I think something we may go into later, but I'll go into it a little bit here, is... In the creative field of any kind, there's this really interesting dynamic, which is that nobody knows anything, right? Rob's going to paint a picture. You know, he's going he's gonna to paint something awesome. How do you know it's awesome? Right. Nobody knows. Now, I'm going to think it's awesome maybe, and Rob probably won't because he always thinks his stuff is, is bad, even though it's awesome. Jimmy's probably, yeah, probably going to look at it and think, but how do you know it's awesome? There's no way to know. Now, I know... When I made a basket and my team won the game. That was awesome. I know when I ran a race and crossed the finish line before everybody else. But I don't know when my painting is awesome. Mm -hmm. I just know when I think it's awesome. And so when you have that tidal wave of success coming, that momentum behind you, at that moment, so much of in the creative field, what sort of determines whether something's good or not is people's opinion of it. And people's opinion is affected by other people's opinion. And those other people's opinion can be the creator of the thing. And so when you're in that position, which I was wanted, where I had a lot of momentum and I wanted to get things done and I had strong opinions about how that movie should be marketed, that was a point in time in which people were listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a force at that moment, right? So I got to do cool things like write a speech that Morgan Freeman eventually read. Um, I got to I, there's a there's a shot in the movie, and I did it for the trailer, but I got to say we need to hire an effects company just for the trailer to do this shot of this bullet curving around this. They, I, I, it's an old movie at this point, but they hung like this, you know, it was like in a butcher shop, and there was yeah. like this pig hanging there. Curve the bullet. And they curved the bullet around the pig to hit the bullseye that was on the other side. And that was not a shot that was actually – that was a plate shot for something else. But I was like, we need a bullet curve. This is a movie about people curving bullets. Let's hire a visual effects company – you know, for like $50,000 to do this shot for the trailer that I don't even know if I'm going to win at the end of the day because there's 10 other companies trying to do it. But right. at that moment, they were like, I don't know, Josh says we should do it. Let's do it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And the movie, the, they actually ended up using that shot in the movie. Um, but that was kind of, I would say, the moment where at that moment, then it became like, Let's get Josh to work on every movie we can. Josh then moved into his $2 million house. <laughs> that's not how the trailer business not works. That's how it works, yeah. yeah. But that was, I would say, my big break. That's when they started getting me to work on – I'm not working on Mr. Bean's Holiday anymore. You know? right. It's like, the, whatever, what's the biggest movie we got? Let's have him work on that. Yeah. And that's what obviously brought you to now. Uh, your most recent project that you can talk about was you worked on The Force Awakens. 
Correct. Yeah. So that yeah. was literally the biggest movie of all time. Of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outside of maybe a James Cameron flick. My um my good friend who I've worked with for years and years. Yeah. During episode seven, we just looked at each other at one point and we we're like, we're working on Star Wars. Yeah. You know, like, did Pretty you ever sweet. think at some point when you were a kid that was the dream? Star Wars. You were talking about with. Me too. Mm-hmm. Star Wars was the pinnacle of it. So yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Hope to still someday be in one. Who knows? Maybe not. dude, they're making fifty-seven thousand of them. You, you've got a good shot. I got a good shot. Yeah. All right. Let's just think about an Asian hero that was in the original trilogy that they're going to make a prequel about. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? It's perfect, Donnie Yen. Uh, no, Don. Yeah, that's right. I'll be a young Donnie Yen. Yeah. 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 They can only make the prequel. No spoilers. Yeah. There you go. How was it, by the way? Because obviously you've worked at a lot of different editing houses right mm-hmm. what's the decision like to bl- move from one to the next or if someone's like hey i want you to work here does it ever feel like oh i don't want to leave this job because it seems like things are going so well i have a philosophy and it is that you need to move around and staying i really have a philosophy in generally in life that is like a shark right not not in the in the way that we think of like shark tank but if you, you, you have to keep moving or you will die and you have to keep evolving. And we've talked about on the show about how our goal for the show is constant evolution and improvement. That's our goal for game nights. That's going to be our goal for anything that we do because that's the thing Jimmy and I share about life in general is there's not a reason to do something unless I'm pushing a limit in some way, trying something I haven't tried, mm-hmm. you know, like this episode of the show. Well, this is not normally what we do, but risk and trying things is that to me is what creativity is almost about. Right. And so moving to do, I've never been a person that ever wants to get comfortable because comfort is the time where I'm not doing my best work. I'm doing my best work in anything I'm doing when I need to prove myself, when there's pressure upon me, there's questions about how good it'll be when it's, Mm -hmm. when I don't even know, can I do it? Yeah. You know? And, and also there's just this learning thing that happens. Like anytime you're at a place for, let's say you're at a place for five years, by the fifth year, are you learning anything? You know exactly how that place works. You know what their philosophy is. You know, you know everything. If you go to a new place now, they look at things in a totally different light. So I'm learning stuff. I now have, are filling out my skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always looked at that way. How about you? Because you, yeah. in your type of gig, it's even more, right? Because each gig is often just one time or just two times or just two episodes or what, you know? Yeah, and it's different because I don't work at a place that guarantees a salary or benefits or anything. You live, I mean, I'll just say this, for the first two and a half years I was in LA, I did not make money. Uh, basically, any single cent that I made was spent on food and lodging and living expenses. There was nothing in the savings. There was nothing for me to put forward because I didn't have anything sustained. I would work on something and then have two weeks off, three weeks off, sometimes months off at a time, and then you'd work on something else, and that would barely sustain you through the next thing. So it was almost out of necessity that you're you're like you know you're like an animal. You're like the polar bear that has its ice caps melting. You know, you need to find safe ground and you're constantly searching for it. And if you're not searching for it, then you're just going to be stagnant. And I think the, the thing that kills a lot of careers out here in acting and stuff is that people don't get success. And instead of being like, it could just be around the corner, it could be tomorrow, it could be the next minute someone could call me, I'm just going to stop trying because it doesn't seem like it's coming right now. And it's a, there's a lot of, and maybe it's just our generation kind of thing, but there's a lot of, because we get instant satisfaction from our phones, you get instant satisfaction from being able to be like, I don't like this command zone video anymore. I'm going to go watch a cat video. You can do it immediately without having to blink an eye or do any extra work outside of typing some words in that people think they get that when something becomes like, oh, you're not getting the success you want at this very moment, then you should give up. 
And I think that happens to a lot of people in careers like acting because it's not just like you're not getting that success. You're also not being able to pay your bills. You're hungry. You're not happy because you can't go out with your friends. And so people take the negativity and they turn it into like, well, this just means I shouldn't be doing this, which I think is not the case in creativity, in the creative world. Well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier too, with something like acting or anything in the creative field, it's also hard for you to have peace of mind yourself that you have advanced. Right. Because it's so difficult to tell is if you're a painter and you painted a painting and you think it's good, but nobody else does. And then you do another one and the same thing happens and you do another one in a couple years down the line, you could look at it and be like, have I improved? You probably have, but how can you tell? And yeah. that, I think, is really discouraging to people. I don't think that the this generation thing holds a lot of weight. I think it's just always been the case is that perseverance. If, yes. you, if you could give one single trait to your kids, if it was me, it would be 100% perseverance above everything else. You, I would rather have a kid that's not as smart as another kid but has more perseverance. I think that's the number yeah. one trait that will that will – give you success in any field, especially the creative field. And you don't think that, right? Because you think creativity is some kind of spark, some kind of thing that like somebody, some people got struck by lightning and they can, mm-hmm. they can, you know, they can't draw stick figures, but they can do this. Right. I guarantee you, Rob has put in so much time into what he knows how to do that. That's a huge part of his success. Now, is there innate talent? Of course there is. Like I could pro- maybe never have become a painter, but that doesn't mean I couldn't be successful in the creative field. Yeah. And I think perseverance is, it's, it is a very good thing to, I think espouses terms of like just overall perseverance in any field whatsoever is important because putting the hours in work-wise is more important than anything else. Um, and that's something that my parents worked into me coming from a pretty strict household because it was all about you are the person that's going to determine your own success always. Like other people can congratulate you. Other people can say you're bad. But at the very end of the day, it's down to you to do the work and to make the thing that's going to happen. Because I personally, if I look at myself critically, I don't think I'm a very creative person. I think I'm just a very, very hardworking person that puts myself in positions to make creative decisions when I get to it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think, like, and that's part of being an artist too, is learning to fully understand the scope of what you can and can't do. I know that I can put in the man hours to make something look good and I can learn from the best and use the skill set that I have of persevering uh, and like putting the hours in and watching tutorials and stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't know if I could personally sit there and make something up from nothing, right? Like that's not a skill set I have. When I, when it, like, for instance, when I drew a lot as a kid, I was always very, very good at looking at something like that chair or this camera and drawing exactly that. I could mimic it one-to-one very well in my, like right here, but I wasn't creating anything. And that to me didn't say like, Jimmy, you're not creative. You shouldn't do anything in the creative industry. It said, Jimmy, this is your skill set here. You're very good at, at taking something and making something out of it. And some people are better at taking nothing and making something out of it. And it's all very different. But at the end of the day, the one thing that ties all of us together is the ability to persevere and do a lot of hard work through all of it. Yep. And put, I, I put the hours in. There's the, it's that fraud thing creeping into that little right. bit of like when you peek behind the curtain it's not what you think it was if people look at people like rob sometimes people like you jimmy because to hear you say that i laugh right he's not a creative guy it's 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 laughable it's hilarious it's not there's no way it's possibly true and yet he believes what he just said and i feel sort of the same way and that's laughable too because when you're the person that's behind the curtain you see the machinery and you understand like it's yeah. not magic like we thought it was but to people on the outside it does what rob's doing it looks mystical 
but it's not. I mean, he's moving around like a mystic, <laughs> that's for sure. It's, it, but it is built on the same principles of hard work yeah. and learning all these things and learning all the techniques and borrowing and stealing from where you do and putting it all together in your own way. Yeah, I believe a lot of artists have said this, but Dolly is the one I think most attributed to it, whereas uh, bad artists copy, great artists steal, or good artists copy, great artists steal, uh, which is the idea that like, you can sit around and, and copy stuff all day, but the, the real people that make real stuff are the ones that steal an idea and then do something to it themselves to either improve on it or change up what it is exactly. Um, and I think if you look behind the curtain, and this is why I love magic as well, the actual idea of magic and magic tricks, and that's what the whole idea of filmmaking is, is that you are, it's movie magic for a reason, and that if you go on set and you see how they actually do something – for me, that doesn't take the magic away. It makes the magic understandable, which is really exciting to me. Um, which is, I, I think everyone should watch The Prestige if you have a chance. It's a great movie about magic, and the it's a a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies are about filmmaking in the film itself. Inception yeah. is very much like that as well. But it's a great way to learn, sort of figure out, like, oh, I understand how the behind the curtain idea. All right, well, let's take a quick check in with Rob and his Duraton painting and see where he's at. So, Rob. We just want to check out when you do at this point in the painting, like, is there anything you want, you can talk about as far as like, is there anything that's come out of you've done it that you're thinking about? Or I'm, we're just curious about the creative process while you're going through, while you're going through. Um, you know, I spent most of my career as a photorealist and I realized that I don't like photorealism. I mean, I can get in there and I can make things photoreal or I can make bits and pieces of photoreal, but really the energy comes from, you know, the unknown. Mm -hmm. It comes from whatever happens. So part of my process is just no mind whatsoever. It's just, for me, not thinking. It's my form of meditation. And at this point in my career, if I think too much about it, it becomes a really stiff piece. And I'd rather have a more abstract, loose piece that has emotion to it mm-hmm. than, ha- than not. Uh-huh. So that's, that's part of my process. And the only other part of my process is just throw crap at the painting. At this point, do you have some sort of plan though about what you're no. going to do? Or is no, it just I, like, if at any moment you just feel like I should do this, you just do it? Yeah, pretty much. So and awesome. when there's loud music playing, it's a bit more like in my head, when I, when I have my headphones on, I mean, I, I tune out but I'm still a little bit more present when it's just super loud music that encompasses the room. Then that's, that's really when you get me going. I, you never know at any given time what I'm going to do. If you watch videos of me, I'm, I'm spitting on paintings and I'm throwing stuff at paintings and you never know what you're going to, what I'm going to do because I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. It's just um, whatever inspires you in that. Yeah. Moment. And if I'm really like out of it, like if I'm just into the painting, I mean, there's, there's been times that people have caught me like jumping in the air and coming down with the paintbrushes. And I, half the time, I don't even realize that I'm doing it. I just do it. At what point in the process do you start thinking about like color and things like that? Are you, are you uh, thinking about that even now or is it again? Or is that there's a part of me that's going, I might put some color in it. I got, I got out some green because I might uh-huh. and I might not. Uh, you know, uh, it's... It's kind of one of those that I'm like... It's not planned, though. It's also just feel? Yeah, it's just feel. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll go into a painting with a plan knowing that I'm going to do this in blues or I'm going to do this in whatever. Uh, And then sometimes I just change halfway through. I mean, it was a Tech 9 concert that I started one painting that I had planned and I had it perfectly planned. 
and then I just scratched it all out and just did what I wanted while to do while I was while I was right in the middle of it. So uh, it's my form of meditation. It's my form of like getting away from everything. All right, that was terrifying. You are a true artist now, Josh. <laughs> That was terrible. Okay, let's talk some big picture stuff now. We, we've detailed sort of what our lives have been up to this point. Um, what drives you, Josh Lequai, every day to get up and do the things you do? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I saw that written on here. I'm not exactly sure how to answer it. I think a little of it is that audience reaction thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that connecting to your audience and having them. Like Game Nights is a really good uh, exploration of that, which is right. just the response has been really good. We're doing something, I think, in a way that hasn't quite been done before. Now, just like you said, we've taken little pieces and little things and we've packaged it all together in a way, I think, that hasn't been seen before. And so right. that's always really fun and fulfilling. Yeah, I should clarify that when I said great artist steel, I'm not saying steel in a negative sense whatsoever. Not whole cloth steel, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, stealing is, and you're taking an idea that you really liked. And filmmakers do this all the time. If you, if you look, you like ask someone, hey, who's your favorite filmmaker? Steven Spielberg, great. Have you, do you think you've stolen things from him that he's done? And they'd be like, of course I have. And Steven Spielberg stole from people before him. In fact, the movie we've mentioned the most, Star Wars, Flash Gordon. Yeah. A lot of st- stolen, admittedly from, Lucas will say, yeah. directly from that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's effective because it's been done before in a lot of ways too. So when I say steal, I'm not saying in a negative sense. In fact, in, when you're filming something, you'll say like, hey, can we cheat this? Can we steal this shot? And you're using those terms because... It's like in magic, you're always trying to get an edge in any way whatsoever, and oftentimes that is one of the ways to get it. Yeah, so what drives you every day? Oh, geez. Honestly, I don't even know anymore. At this point, I have this thirst inside me. Uh, I think ever since I came to L.A., it's, it's been part about proving my, myself to the world, proving that I can do this thing that I really want to do. And also at the same time, there has always been a part of me that wants to change the world for the better. I think that's why I made that original song to that girl from UCLA. I think for me, the Asian American representation in Hollywood, I think is still just completely unacceptable. Um, I think you can name many famous black actors, Hispanic actors, uh, even though they're underrepresented too. Exactly. And European actors, and they're all, we're all minorities, you know, but at the same time, why aren't there major Asian names outside of like three or four, right? I always ask people this question and it always baffles me that people didn't realize this before, but how many times have you seen Jet Li or Jackie Chan kiss a girl in a movie? Like that it's in itself may not be a huge thing that you think about when you watch an action movie, but it actually is a very pervasive thing, I think, in society where there's been this weird demasculinization of Asians uh, as well as an over-sexualization of Asian women that it just really puts you in the minority camp. And to me, when I first entered to be an actor and wanted to do this sort of work, a big driving factor, and it still is today, is I want to change how people see Asians in Hollywood, specifically on camera, because there's a lot of Asian American representation behind the camera and people working for the companies and editors like yourself, but there isn't as much in front. And I think that is something that needs to change and will change, and hopefully I can be on the forefront of that. So that's one of the things that drives me every day. I Um, I think that demonstrates one of the things that's powerful about art is the ability, its special ability to change people's minds and perceptions in a way that nothing else can. Right. It always baffles me when people get really mad that people like at the Oscars are um, being political or politicizing. And I, I don't yeah. care if you agree with them or not. That, this, that's not the point. The point is that that's what art is. It's having a perspective. That's mm-hmm. what creativity is. It's having a perspective. It's not supposed to be vanilla like everything else. It's supposed to say, no, 
here's a lens through which to see the world that's different than the one. And then that's, yeah. you know, Rob does that with his paintings and, you know. Directors do that with their movies. And bands do that with their music. And so that, I think, that's a really good answer. And I believe that's one of the reasons that I get up every day, too, is to to sort of put that my own lens uh, on the world and show it to other people. Yeah, one of the things we do with Game Nights to paint it the world that we wanted to is like we don't enter a Game Nights episode and think I'm going to get salty over this game. I'm going to argue with people. I'm going to be a rules lawyer. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, like we choose decks because we want them to be fun. We want to engender a better playing experience for people around the world. And that is the lens that we present that series through on purpose. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I really like what you said there. And, you know, I, I think people who don't understand this part don't understand the creation of things like that. But Game Nights definitely has goals. And one of those goals can be to show what we want about magic to people, right? We're not shooting game nights as a way to just, you know, have you watch magic. We also want to show it through the lens that we want to show it through. And one of the ways is like, this is one way that if you see it, you might try and it might make your games more fun. And being able to share that with people is really important. And, and one of the ways to do that is to, like a lot of people have mentioned just how fun our group looks. Well, we're consciously trying to have as much fun as possible. And the funny thing about that is, is when you do that, you actually have more fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you smile enough, you actually become a happier person. Yep. And it's like your brain kind of gets into that mode. It's not like we're faking it ever either. Like when we first started playing together, one of the reasons we wanted to do a podcast is like we enjoy this a lot. And we have fun for a lot of reasons. And we don't like certain things <laughs> for certain reasons too. And we don't want people to be salty or angry. And we get these things all the time. But we specifically have always rallied against that personally i think as well as when we're playing in the groups that we're playing and we're trying to yes and constantly yeah you know play the decks you want yes do what you want maybe it shuts down my deck and you're saying no but to me it's like the, the counter spell deck isn't saying no to me it's saying jimmy yes you can do something about this and build a deck to like respond to it or whatever you know um you know there it's two questions away but i want to jump to it just sure. because it ties into this which is what does it mean to be creative mm-hmm quote unquote, be creative. And I've always thought it's a really tough question to answer, but I've always thought it really, when you boil it down, it's setting goals for yourself. Yeah. It's not, it's your own, you like in the creative world, you have to set the goal for yourself. If somebody else sets it for you, then you're not being creative anymore. They are. Your goal is like, I have a story I want to tell, Mm -hmm. or I have a painting I want to paint, or I have a a feeling I want to convey, and I'm going to do that through a song or a painting or whatever. Right. And, you know, Game Nights is no different. We're using Game Nights a lot because we think it's probably a common thing that people know about. But in any of your work, you, you have to set the goal. You've set the goal, and then you figure out the path to achieve that goal. Yeah. And so goal setting for yourself is such a huge part of being creative, I think. Yeah, I also I like that a lot, setting a goal and being creative in the ways that you get to that goal as well, because this can apply to a corporate environment, which is like, hey, I really want to get this promotion, or hey, I really want to make sure that at the next meeting, this idea that I have goes through. Creativity comes in every single aspect of everyone's lives, and even though I say I'm not a creative person, I'm doing creative things all the time, which is the idea of try to think outside the box a little bit, try to approach something from a different angle and see if it works better that way. Like if you're hammering away at something and it's a square in a, in a, in a round hole, like maybe it's not going to work if you keep doing it the same way you are. But a creative person goes, okay, well, what are my options? Can I make this circle into a square or the square into a circle? Right. Can I go look for something else? A, not, a person who's not as creative or isn't thinking creatively says, oh, it can't be done. Yeah, and I think that, again, it all boils down to the yes and no that you're answering to yourself in life. And I think the more you answer no, the quite 
more often you're closing off creative roots and just the idea to be more open-minded about something. Um, I think what it means to be creative for me, and this has been influenced a lot by meeting, traveling a lot as much as I can, meeting a lot of different people. And every time I go somewhere, not to stay inside my hotel room and not engage with the world, but to go out there and be like, this is different than what I know. And there's something very important about that because these people are all living their lives in a different way. And it's different than anything I've ever known. Instead of being like, no, they're doing it wrong. Or no, they can't be right because of X, Y, and Z. It's more, how are they right? How are they different? And being open-minded. And I think that lends itself to being a more creative spirit in general. And it's brought me a lot of happiness in life because you just find that things don't get you down as easily if you're able to approach it from a more like, oh, maybe I can think about it in a different way and put it in a different framework. And that helps out a lot. I think for just general like life happiness, I would recommend doing being trying to be more open minded always. It ties back into that idea of of the stealing things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you can't steal something if you don't know about it, That's right? Point. And so, adding as many little pieces of knowledge to your little toolbox, it's mm-hmm. like magic, right? If I build a toolbox deck, what's in there are all the pieces that I might need in different in different moments. Well, you can do that in life too, but you can't have things in your toolbox that you just don't know about. And so right. pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and you know, experiencing things that maybe it would be easier to just sort of shut the door and not go out when you're in a strange town and you're there for some other business. But making yourself go out there and, and experience things puts things in your toolbox that you can pull out for later. Yeah, uh, I really like that. I think as gamers and as people that are more prone to be shut inside than, out, than going outside, it's tough for a lot of people to sort of get this mentality really solidified in their life. And I think that is something that we have to look out for constantly because, you know, if I stayed in my room and played World of Warcraft for the rest of my life, I may have limited social interaction with people and that is going to affect the way that I look at the world. And it's something to just be wary of like, hey, you know, sometimes I need to look at myself and be like, I'm being the problem here because I'm being stubborn or I'm refusing to admit this or do whatever. And a lot of times it's really tough to get to that realization without being open-minded to the idea that, one, it's okay to be the problem. You know, it's okay to not be the th- person that fits in or does something perfectly the first time. Like, it's life. You're going to be around for, like, what, 70 to 90 years? If you make one mistake in this week of this day, think about the percentage that's going to take up your life. Are you going to let that become you or are you going to grow from that and, and become something more outside of that? We're all a work in progress. Yes. All right, so let's go back to, do you know why you do what you do? Um, I think this harkens back to the same idea of I want, originally it was a lot about validation. I needed it um, because, you know, I was a younger sibling. I felt like I didn't get it as much, always being in the shadow sort of of my older sibling. And and from that, it turned into I need to not just validate for myself. I want to validate for the entire race that I represent and sort of the entire idea of we're a new generation of filmmakers. We're a new generation of content creators. I want to be, make sure that I'm going out there and putting f- my best foot forward because I'm a representative of a larger whole. That's why you'll see me rail against certain things on Twitter all the time is because I think they're doing a really piss poor job sometimes of representing the community that I'm a part of and I help build. And I will not stand to let someone else tear that down and not – or at the very least make sure that people know that there are people that stand against something that I don't think is right. You know, I think that's really important and you, I do that through art and I do that through my words. But I think that's why I do what I do. Yeah, this is another tough question because, like I mentioned earlier, this sort of audience reaction is a big deal. But I also, you know, people ask me what I want in life, and my usual answer is just creative satisfaction Mm -hmm. for myself. I just want to feel good about what I've done, Yeah, you know. And I'm one of these people that 
I do care about the audience reaction, but I want them to have the, the reaction that I want them to have because that validates what I've done as far as like, oh, I, I properly set that up. Like if there's right. a joke in Game Nights and it is funny and people like it, then it's like I've accomplished that. Right. You know, it's not that I want people to laugh. It's that I want them to have laughed because at that moment I thought that that was the right thing for the story. You know, it's a weird thing. It's a very satisfying thing. And I think that's 100% why a lot of film gets made. It's why comedy exists. It's you're, you're there to make other people laugh. Yeah. You think it's funny, but really the satisfaction is knowing that you can bring a little bit of that to someone else with, yeah. a, with, an, with an active choice you made. But it could be make them scared. It could be make them mm-hmm. on the edge of their seat. It could be make them, you know, sad. It, it could be all the things for whatever the story um, needs at that moment. But yeah. the, those, that my own creative satisfaction is fulfilled by things like that. And I think that ultimately that that's really what I'm after. It's right. just... That feeling at the end of the day where you're like, yeah, yeah, I pulled yeah. that off. All right. So uh, do you have these sort of like overarching lessons that you've learned over doing things over and over again, repetition-wise? It could be very specific as in like in editing, I always know that now that this is sort of the right thing to do or it could be more broad. It's funny because the quote that you bring up about the copy, you know, good, good artist copy and great artist steal. Right. I have a quote that's a go-to quote to mine that I think about constantly and it was from Miles Davis. And he said that the difference between a good musician and a fair musician is that a, a good musician can play whatever they think of. Mm-hmm. And the difference between a good musician and a great musician is what they think. And the funny thing about sayings like this are they evolve over time. And I don't know what Miles Davis meant by, the, by this quote, right? Uh-huh. I, I have never met the man, obviously. Um, Miles Davis, if you don't know, one of the greatest, musicians, the greatest of yeah, musicians of all time, jazz musicians, trumpeter. Yeah, maybe the greatest jazz musician of all time um i don't want to get into that argument one of uh one of yeah so at first it meant to me the lightning bolt thing that some people have talent oh you know some people were touched by god or struck by lightning or tinkerbell or whatever you want to call it and they just have more talent than the rest of us those are the great musicians Right, because that they just think differently than other people. But as I've grown older, I've realized that no, it means when if I'm striving for greatness, the problem is often how I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. and I can change how I think. Right, and it's being able to change how you think that will make you great, not having an innate thought process that's different than somebody else's. It's just not getting caught. Right, right, and so that really gives a lot of power to you. Because when you hit those walls in those moments, you go, okay, well, I need to change how I'm thinking about it. Right. And that's how I can, I can achieve greatness, quote unquote. And so I don't know if that's a lesson. That's a lesson I've learned along the way because long ago in editing, I passed the point of fair to good. You know, I can pull off, I feel like, like I'm sure Rob feels this way about painting. You probably feel this way about acting, which is that if I'm called to do something, I can do it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody said, hey, we need to make this more fun, no problem. We need to make this more scary, no problem. We need to blah, blah, blah. I know how to do that. Now the difference is knowing when to do what right. and how I'm thinking about why. And that's the difference between good and great. And so, and that, by the way, is not just like a, oh, you wake up and you get it. That's like a literal lifelong struggle of learning these kinds of lessons. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's cha- it changes daily too. And I, I, yeah. I, I, piece by piece, I add little bits of knowledge and, you know, I'm and way better. And sometimes be- take stuff away too, right? Yep. Yeah. And I'm way better at it now than I was five years ago. But am I better today than I was yesterday? I don't know. 
But that's part of the creativity and part of the fraud thing too, which is you just never know, but you have to believe that yeah. your process, you have to believe in the process of it. Um, so yeah, important lesson learned. Just don't get caught in those thought processes. Be willing. It's why I'm always an advocate of, and you'll see this in my arguments on the in response. Yeah. And you'll see this on a lot of arguments we have in the show. I'm very much a let's try things that haven't been tried. Let's look to the future and not be scared of the downsides. Let's do yeah. the things. I'm, I like it if it's new. Yeah. I'm way more likely to, because I know what the old thing looks like and you can usually go back fairly easily to what the old thing was and it's pushing through to try the new things that's actually hard. Yeah, I think fear is a big thing there and I think fear is one of those very double-sided edges where it's like, one, fear can encourage you to do stuff. It can motivate the human body to do incredible feats of strength and endurance. At the same time, fear is like the number one thing that sets us back because we're afraid to bridge out to the new things. We're afraid that when we do it, it's not going to be accepted instead of doing the, the Josh Lee Choir route, which is why not just try it? Why not see what happens before passing judgment on something? Um, How about you? Any, any big lessons that you can think of? Yeah. It's this, so the first one goes back to what you said. Um, there are a lot of things in the world that you can't change. And that as hard as you try, you won't be able to change them. Uh, I've learned this through being in relationships with people that sometimes you just can't change someone else. And that's how it works. It, most of the time. Most of the time, right. <laughs> Um, but if there's one thing that you do have power and you do have control over, it is right here. Um, and obviously this is, this varies from person to person. A lot of people, um, are born with sometimes like a mental illness that helps, that doesn't let them accomplish the same sort of thing. They'll get trapped in the depressive state or whatever. And I think the brilliant part about being a human alive today is like people used to die when they were like 17 of a random disease, right? People are living to 90, hundred years old these days because of science and modern technology and, uh, medicine as well. I think the really one of the big things I've learned is that shame is something that happens way too often. I think we get ashamed of a lot of different things, and um, my uh, depression runs in my family. Uh, there's a lot of mental illness, and there's a lot of also like like um, sort of just body stuff that I would genetically in- inherit. And there's a lot of shame uh, for a lot of people I've talked to, and a lot of people I've heard from that like, "Hey, I have this thing. I need to take this medication for it. I feel ashamed of it." And it's like, no, 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 no. You are making yourself better when you're trying to fix yourself, when you're trying to actively work on yourself. And modern medicine, and my dad's a doctor. He advocates for this all the time. You are becoming a better person as a result. And if you're striving towards that, and if you're working towards making this function the best that it can, I think you're going to have a better time in life. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. We all have issues. We all have things we have to work through on different levels. And that's something that is a shared part of humanity. And I think being able to, to say, like, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm proud of myself and who I am and what I can accomplish. And I'm going to use these things to help me with it. I think that's a really important thing to sort of embody uh, just in life. Yeah, that's great. It's perfect. Um, I got one more thing to say, which is I forgot to mention earlier as far as lessons learned, uh-huh. advice to people that want to be creative and in the creative field. It's along the Miles Davis line thing, but this idea that, being successful in the creative field is really about hard work. We've talked about this. I had a good anecdote that I always tell people, which is that people think that it's hard to be creative in the way that it's hard to like paint the Sistine Chapel, but it's actually hard, like coal mining hard. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a William Goldman quote for those people who know who that is. And I always say that making it in the movie business, and you can apply this to anything creative, it's like digging a hole a mile deep. Listen, Anybody can do that. All you need is a shovel. It doesn't require any skill that you, don't, that you don't have. 
You just have to get in the hole every day and dig. And the thing that you find after you're in that hole and you're three quarters of a mile deep is that you better just love playing in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're pretty deep down at that point. You're just surrounded by it. You won't get in the hole every day and dig if you don't. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Another uh, small thing I wanted to say is uh, one of my first improv coaches and a very influential guy in my life, um, he uh, had a saying, which was, think outside the pumpkin, which I thought was really cute because the idea of like, you know, we say we've been dropping quotes the entire episode, but a big part of dropping a quote is also knowing that the quote doesn't define everything. And thinking outside the pumpkin is kind of like, it's like a meta statement on think outside the box, which is like, why does it have to be a box? It'll be a pumpkin. As soon as you say think outside the box, you're in the box. You're in the box, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You gotta think no, outside the pumpkin. That's a great and think like, outside the pumpkin. E- even think outside the pumpkin becomes like, well, now you're inside the pumpkin. Are you inside the pumpkin or are you outside the pumpkin? Why is it gotta be a pumpkin? So like I like the idea is that you're constantly challenging yourself to take the quotes that you know as well and reimagine them. You know, never never let something become dull and stagnant in your life, I think, especially if you're gonna be a creative uh, person. All right. So what's your advice to someone? out there listening Mm -hmm. that's like wants to get started in the creative field maybe not as a career could just be as a hobby Mm -hmm. you know or just maybe just wants to be more creative in general you know or is already starting but they just want to know maybe what are some steps to success like what's your advice to somebody number one really examine why you want to do the thing that you say you want to do because that is going to really be the thing that is going to sustain whatever you're doing over the long run if it's like hey, I want to be a pro League of Legends player because it's cool, because I think it's a really glamorous lifestyle, and I want to be on the big stage in front of people and making people scream when I make a big play, as opposed to, I want to be a pro League of Legends player because I'm good at this game, and I want to challenge myself to be the best in the world, and I think I can be. Right? One person's in it for the glamour, one person's in it for the personal growth. I mean, they're both legitimate things to think. I'm just saying, make sure you're analyzing why you want to do something before you want to do it, if you want to jump into a creative thing. Uh, because I think there are a lot of times that we say to ourselves, and I mean a lot of actors like this too, which is like, I want to be famous. That's that's all you want to be? Then you can go and murder someone and be famous, right? Like you don't, don't need do to that. be an actor. Don't do that. You don't <laughs> need to be an actor to be quote unquote famous. So I think if you have a more vapid sort of surface level want for something, you should really examine it and really ask yourself the tough questions, which is why do I really want to do this thing? And if I really, really want to do it, what part of this like is is the meaningful part to me as a person um and then if you go do that thing i would uh suggest if you have the the liberty and freedom of choice to choose something that you're more familiar with uh something that you think is more innate to you because it will help you get past those really first few rocky steps so for instance i made movies when i was a kid and i was always performing thus performance came naturally to me i wouldn't jump in and try and be an artist tomorrow uh, if I wasn't super, super passionate about drawing and painting. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to be really hard for you to, I think, get those first in- crucial steps out of the way, which can sometimes be the hardest and roughest to go through because if you don't really believe the thing you're doing, it's going to be really hard to convince yourself to wake up and play in the dirt every day. Yeah, that's why I think it's playing in the dirt. you got to like whatever you choose to do, you got to like playing in the dirt because it's not going to be the glamorous part for most of it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, that's a really good one. To me, I always say you know, have your perspective, figure out what it is that you, that's special about what you're bringing to the table. And I think it's along similar lines. Just, you know, if you're going to be a pro League of Legends player, why? What is it you've got? You know, 
Are you going to jungle better than anybody else? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be the best top laner there? Are you going to take some character that everybody thinks is bad, but you think is good? Or maybe you're not even a great player, but you're a great team leader. There you go. Right? You got a strat, some strategies or ways you think about the game that are different than everybody else. That's the way that you're really going to make your mark and you're going to find that creative satisfaction is to have that thing that's the pillar of what you is really, you know, you and your personality and what you're passionate about. And yeah, passion is something you circle around and I'm circling around too the really big component it's mm-hmm. you know love it have passion for it creativity is really about passion it's, and creativity is not very often about sort of small emotions it's very often about big emotions mm-hmm. yeah like it's the sort of what gets you out of bed every day what yeah. what wakes you up and makes you go i can't wait to do this or i can't wait to to make some progress on this or i'm so frustrated i didn't make any progress on this i need to make some progress on this because I, i'm it's, it's not fulfilling that Part of me that the, the thirsty hungering for filling, you know, doing that thing. It actually leads into the last question that we've got written down, mm-hmm. which is people have ideas all the time. What do you think stops most of those ideas from coming to fruition? Like what? Because there's we hear it on, from emails, but you just hear it from your friends and things all the time. They have ideas. They have things that they want to accomplish or they think they could accomplish. Yeah. Why don't those things happen? Uh, like we said before, I think fear is a big thing. Um, also just sometimes sitting down and doing something is the most intimidating thing in the world where it's like, I'm here, I've got the canvas. I'm ready to paint the picture I want to paint writer's block, artist block. I can't actually put the pencil on the paper because I'm just too, I just can't get over this hurdle. Um, I think, I think we create our own hurdles every single day. Society creates some of them as well. The media paints a lot of hurdles. Movies paint hurdles for us. We start to believe things that people tell us. And that ends up, I think, screwing people over in the long run because all of a sudden when you approach something, instead of being like, what are the things I can do? It's what are the things I can't do and why can't I do it? Um, And a lot of the times the things are really nonsensical. Like I don't know how many times I've talked to someone. They're like, I really want to do this, but I can't. And I just go like, but why can't you? And sometimes they can't come up with a real answer. And it's we put a lot of things in front of ourselves because we don't want to set ourselves up for failure in life. And honestly, I would say every major artist has had 90% failure 10% success in terms of like they're doing really well if they're at that rate yeah right like failing is a huge part of of moving forward and like when you when you were a baby when you first learned to walk did you just stand up and do it heck (laughs) no you fell over a bunch of times same with your bicycle same with every sort of thing you do in life you gotta mess up you gotta play in the dirt yeah you know uh, that's such a good point and i think fear of failure holds people back so much and we told our stories in the total wrong way at the start of the episode, right? Right. Because that's like, what you hear. All we do. Here's yeah. the successful part of it. But man, I made coffee and I ran tapes for months, you know, and I went and I stayed late at night and I cut my own little trailers for things. And people, you know, mm-hmm. the first couple, they were like, eh, you know, and I right. was like, okay, well, what about it? How can I fix that? Come back the next time. Okay, that's a little better, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Well, I, a lot of people would have the first time they went, uh, eh, would have been like, ah, that's it, I can't do it. Yeah. Quit. This is not for me. I'm not good at it. Yeah. You know, that's not going to get you super far. And I think perseverance and not fearing failure is a huge component of success in any business, definitely the creative business. Again, because nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. They're giving you their opinion of what they think it's good or not. You don't even have to listen to them. Look at like somebody like Steve Jobs who refused to listen to anybody <laughs> and did his thing. And that guy, as far as I know, did pretty well, changed the world. So I, I really love that. The other thing I will say is that be practical, not in the way of 
set, set your dream way out there. Not, not, that's not what I mean by be practical. Be practical in how you can accomplish it. So yeah. if you need to, if, you, if you're going to paint a painting, set out this. If you're going to write a book, I think this one's a little bit easier to, mm-hmm. to explain. A lot of people, I, you hear this all the time, right? I have this idea for a story. I want to write a book someday. Okay, that's, all, that's great. That's great. You're with half of the population now. You know what will <laughs> cut that down to 5% of the population that are with you? You say, yeah, and I set myself a deadline that I'm going to f- write the first chapter by the end of next week. Or I'm going to write the first chapter by the end of this month. You're going down to 1% at this point, I'd say. Yep. Not even 5 Yep. And you, and you actually go, okay, that's the big view. I want to write a book. Now, let's zoom in. What are the steps I need to start accomplishing that goal? Mm-hmm. And you can set it reasonably. It's just like working out or something, right? right? I want to lose 50 pounds. You don't look and go, well, how can I do that in one day? You go, how do I start doing that? Well, I go to the gym tomorrow. And I only go for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know? And eventually I'm going to work that up and I'm going to have lost 50 pounds after X amount of days. Yeah. It's the same thing with creative endeavors. It feels like you want that bolt of lightning, that magical moment. That's not really how it works. It really works in setting yourself the deadline and saying, you know what? I'm going to write the first chapter right. by the end of next week. Right. You're going to have, and I think a lot of people have this like jealousy or envy and think that because someone else has the spark, that they're never going to be able to do something similar or on that level. And like, sure, there's going to be a Mozart born once every thousand years, but that doesn't mean that the other 99.9% of people that are doing amazing things in that field all were born that way. The the hours had to be put in for it to happen. Um, And honestly, like, take a look at your life. I, I think this happens to everyone where we are told no all the time, and you need to see how often that no affects how you make your next decision. Like when you're a little kid and you're like, I want to paint a zebra. And they're like, well, but today you cannot paint a zebra because no. You know, and you're like, oh, well, okay, I guess I'm not going to do that. I mean, even if that moment doesn't like, you don't think it affects you over the long run. Sometimes these things really burrow into your head and become parts of our personality and being like, I, don't, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. I'm going to make the reasons up now because earlier in my life or something happened where someone said I couldn't do this for whatever reason. And I believe them to the point where it's never, I can never sort of like go over that hurdle don't that, let that happen. You know, that reminds me of something that I am constantly telling myself all the time when I'm making movie trailers, when I'm cutting game nights. And it, I literally say this phrase in my head, which is, there are no rules. Because uh-huh. your brain will fight you so hard to say, you can't do that. And I, ha- I literally tell myself, no, there are no rules. Yeah. Like, I, wanted, I want this moment to work in this way. Uh, you can't do that. No, there are no rules. The only rule is when I look at it, do I think it's good? Yeah. That's the only rule. Because that's how you get to the great part of what Miles Davis said. You don't worry about rules. Mm -hmm. You worry about what am I accomplishing? Am I happy with it? Do I have creative satisfaction? Yeah. Somebody tells you, you can't, you can't paint a zebra. It's painting. There are no rules. Do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the reason that I love watching movies that surprise me are movies that break the mold. Like Cabin in the Woods is one of my favorite horror movies in a long time because it was like saying, hey, the horror movie world has a lot of rules. Let's make a movie where we break all of them and yep. show them. Let's, sh- like, let's be meta about it. There and are no rules. There are no rules. Look yeah. at Rob. He shoots Windex onto his painting. He yeah. just throws paint at it. Talk about being creative right there. He like, closes uh, his eyes sometimes. There are no rules. And of course, it took him a long, long time to really refine all these processes. And that's the, other, that's the only hard and fast rule for me, which is like, you want to get something? 
we better put the freaking work in. <laughs> I had a. And it's not easy, but hey, it's how it, it just that's how it works, man. I had a great. Um, well, I had a, a, a teacher mentor type boss at one point who had been an editor, but had moved past that part of their career and was over overseeing a lot of editors at one point. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that she told me that really I, I keep to this day was she said, listen, like you can't control when your great ideas are going to strike you. You hope that it's a lot and, you know, maybe more talented people, it'll happen more often, but it's a percentage thing, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, a really talented person is going to have 30% of their ideas are, are great and, you know, a normal person, maybe it's 15%, but that doesn't right. mean they don't have great ideas sometimes. You can't control when or not that happens. The only thing you can control, and this is for editing specifically, is just knowing the footage better than anybody else. Right. And allowing those great moments to start because you can't make connections between things that you don't know exist. And so what she was telling me was like, listen, don't worry so much in each given moment if you're going to come up with that brilliant thing. Worry more about doing the hard work, which is watching all the footage, cataloging it, making sure you know everything that's available to you and everything that you might be able to mix together. And then that's going to give you just the greatest chance of coming up with those brilliant ideas. And I think that you can take that lesson and you can apply it to anything in that. Just be prepared to, so that when that brilliant idea can come, you can take advantage of it. Yeah. Hindsight is 2020 and acting auditions. You almost always walk out and being like, I should have done it like that. Well, maybe you could have gotten there if you spend a little more time preparing on the front end. Right. Like that, that is definitely, yeah. Knowing the footage, knowing your, what you're working with, you know, putting the work in again, playing the dirt. Play in the dirt. It's not glamorous, and it's, you know, the glamour comes. But that's great, because anybody can do it. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's like the sparks of glamour are there, but that's not what I go for. I go for the, just like the the thrill of learning something, the thrill of being in the grind, going to, I mean, Clint talks about filmmaking as going to war with your friends every day, and and by the end of it, you're making a movie, You're, you're, you're toughing the weather out, you're figuring out how to feed everyone, you're making sure everyone's comfortable and also challenging themselves at the same time. You know, it's, it's a great way to look at it, I think. Movie making is a battle, man. Yeah. Wow. Rob, Rob and I are still friends to this day because he uh, was in battle with me on, yeah. that, on that movie. So, All right. To the listeners, everyone's career path is very different and unique. And magic, I think, is the one thing that's brought all of us together, which is a fantastic thing. And I love magic because of that, because of, I, I'm connected with so many more people because of it. Even though we barely talked about it this episode. Yeah. Don't worry. Next episode, we'll be back to we'll your back. normal fare. Um, but let us know. What do you do? And how has your life helped inform your decisions? I'm, I don't want to make this thing like a, oh, I do this cool thing. I do this cool thing. I, I don't care about that. I just want to know how you got to where you are. You know, if you're satisfied, if, if you want to push yourself forward, or if you like being in that current job and, and like you, you find different ways to have a creative output or, or to flex your muscles in a different way. You know, I want to know what, what's held you back, what's pushed you forward. Please tweet at us. Yeah, and I just want to say too, like we're all a work in progress. So tomorrow you can decide to write that, to set that deadline where you write that first chapter by the mm-hmm. end of the month. Like at any moment you can decide to do that. Yeah, and uh, it's never too late. Yeah, I, I there's this great story. <laughs> there's this great story I love about Julius Caesar, and at some point he's sitting and he's crying, he's bawling his eyes out, and. I think somebody asked him, like, what's wrong? You know, he's Caesar. He's, he's, this is before he's the great Caesar. At this point, he's just like the governor of Spain or something. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm 33 years old. 
by this time, Alexander the Great had already conquered the whole entire known world. Right. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I, I'll never be as great as that man. And Julius Caesar goes on to become one of the greatest men, arguably, in the history of the world. It's not about the age of It's not the about body. what other people have done. It's not about what other people have done. It's about the age of the heart, age of the mind. You can do it. Wow. We turned into like a really, we turned into that, what's that book? The Secret? We turned into The Secret. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. All right. Sponsor for the show, cardkingdom.com. If you want to live out your dreams of playing the best magic cards, you can buy them by going to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link. Again, Modern Masters is coming out. The set looks nuts. I can't wait to draft it. Uh, great time to buy your sealed product at a good price, as well as some singles, which are definitely going to be going down in price thanks to the reprints. Yeah, I would watch that fetch land price really closely because they're going to floor out um, somewhere around when Amonkhet comes out, yeah. and that's going to be the time to really grab them because those are great in EDH. We, everybody needs them for their deck, so you really want to get them at the cheapest possible price. So just, just I'm estimating around 15 bucks. I think, is where they're going to settle. Yeah, it's hard to tell at this point how much Modern Masters 2017 they're going to print, but it sounds like it's a lot. So, yeah, yeah uh, keep an eye on that. All right, let's go check in with Rob here on the painting, and then we'll bring Rob back. And you got your signature paint splatter, which I love. Yeah, the only thing I didn't put in yet was the chicken head. <laughs> chicken head? There's a chicken head hidden in every single one of my paintings. Every single one. And that's a real thing. Every painting has a chicken head? Every single painting I ever do has wow. a chicken head. Yeah. Um, Were there any particular moments on this painting that you talked about sort of changing plans sometimes or changing things? Was there anything in this painting where specifically where, like, uh, you did something, you didn't like it, or you changed something, or... Yeah, it, the color. Like, I started seeing the color, and I was like, it, it's just the black and white wasn't doing anything for me at all. And then one of my favorite songs came on, and then I opened my eyes again, and I realized that if I did want to go back, I couldn't. Was it, <laughs> so, was it by Kermit the Frog? Uh, it was. It was Kermit the Frog. Why uh, so many <laughs> songs about rainbows? I know, it was Kermit the Frog. Uh, singing more human than human by the zombie. <laughs> it was it was a weird version, but it's one of my favorites. I mean, what, ha uh, what happened as a result is clearly fantastic, though. So. Oh man, thank you. If, uh, uh, we didn't say this, Jimmy, but when I first met Rob, he was sort of world renowned as a paintbrush artist or as an airbrush, airbrush artist. Yeah. He was ah. photo real airbrushing was yep. sort of like what Rob was known for. In yep. fact, you did a comic book series called Lost Heroes that was like photo real. Yeah, it was a photo real book, and that was stupid. Um, <laughs> God, that was, that was, work. that was a lot. Of, that was pain. I, that was, I had done it for so long and I knew so many other artists were doing it and it was just, it, you burn out and yeah. I burnt out on photo reel is like solid. I can still go back. I can still do something that's 100% like photo reel, but why? Yeah, well, Photoshop. It's, it's like what we talk about, though. You still use some of those tricks and techniques. Oh, yeah. You've just altered them and pieced them together with other things, right? Yeah. And I, well, I think that's what artists need to do is, you know, look, I'm, I'm nowhere near what I want to be yet. And I don't know if I'll ever get there. Probably not. And if I do, I'll just stop doing art completely. <laughs> so we all hope you don't get there. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, if you, don't, if you don't morph as an artist and you don't grow, then you become stagnant and that's that's its own form of death so let me you see like, if i can get as like dark as you guys were going you gotta be like the shark man you can't no, stop i know and julius caesar used to use an airbrush <laughs> <laughs> he cried where can people like i'm sure people are going to want this are you going to have prints available how's that going to work i think i'll probably do prints sometime but i'll do small small prints of it but maybe for your show yeah, we big. do 
we do some 13 by 19 prints and we only do 10 of them ever and give them away to people on your show. Wow. And we do that. Really? Yeah. All right, Rob, thank you so much for your wonderful contribution back there. It was oh, a lot of fun you. hearing the thwacks of the paint and, <laughs> and you moving as we were talking. That was about me passing here. out in the background. <laughs> oh, he's up again. Um, like Rob said, we're going to do some exclusive giveaways, uh, potentially of some prints of this. Uh, if you guys want to find out how to get those, just make sure you follow us on Twitter at CommandCast. Or go in your backyard, start a fire. And do smoke signals. They answer those as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we're always on the lookout for a good smoke signal. Also, make sure you follow Rob at Prior, the number two art. Prior to art. And uh, uh, yeah, at most everything is Prior to yeah. art. Although, and, and on Twitter. my Facebook is Rob Prior Official. I remember that as I was Oh, painting. very nice. So, you're... so make sure you visit uh, Rob's YouTube channel. You can see him. A lot of the live painting of yours is on there. Cool. I know, I think... Rob tends to be around a lot of celebrities because he paints them. So I know you had like the crew from Arrow at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, there was one where they all came up on stage and painted with me, which I didn't even realize that any, were, any of them were behind me. I was <laughs> that's like, awesome. That was, that was crazy. That yeah, was fun. I think Rosera Dawson was on there. You were on stage with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson at oh, one point. Oh, my God. That was a bucket list thing because he's just so cool. Yeah. He is, he's amazing. He's a cool uh, dude. And uh, to hear him break down like lightsabers on a scientific level was just, I, you know, <laughs> when he started, I wait, was wait, like, as oh. you were painting, you were listening to them. Oh, absolutely. I was, uh, I had music in one ear, listening to that in another ear and then painting. That's awesome. Um, that is awesome. You were like this one. I got to listen to, you know, I had to listen to the whole thing. I was like, man, I can't. And then he came up and he painted with me for a little bit, which, which wow. Was, I was like, all right, that's man, we're in good company, Jimmy. Bucket list. It was, that was bucket list <laughs> for me. Really bucket list stuff. Um, Okay, so we have a segment on our show. It's called The End Step. Okay. And on it, we talk about something cool that we're enjoying that's, uh, well, it's outside the world of magic. But I we hate everything. T- Come on, man. I, I don't enjoy it. What life. was the TV show you were just talking about? <laughs> um, no, I'm watching Magicians. Uh, it's The TV show? The TV show. It's on sci-fi, right? It is, but I just bought all the episodes on nice. I really I started with, um, with Netflix. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, man, this show, is, it's, it's bad, but it's good. Right. It just sucks you in. It does. It, One of my friends is on it, actually. Is he? Yeah, the, it's, a, it's the girl, uh, Olivia Taylor Dudley. The blonde or the... Yeah, the taller blonde one. That's cool. I read the books. In fact, the oh, professor yeah. came on one episode long ago, and he's the one that recommended the book, The, the, the Magicians, I think is the first yeah. name of the first book. Yeah, and I liked it. It was... Yeah, it's, it's oddly good, and I say that because... You don't that, have to be ashamed that you like it, Rob. It's okay to like things. <laughs> no. I only like art. <laughs> I only like art. <laughs> That's it. You know, I wanted to have you, because I'm sure there's a lot of people wondering. We gave a lot of advice about people that were sort of trying to get into creative fields or wanting to be more creative. And, and obviously, you're a guy that knows a lot about that. So I thought it might be interesting to have you answer that question. If you have any advice to, you know, people that, maybe young people that want to get into it, or even if they're older and they and they're just want to be more creative or they want to switch jobs or whatever it is. What advice do you have to somebody that wants to sort of get into a creative field or be more creative? I do a lecture on, on this. You do a lecture? I do a lecture wow. on this. That's and scary. I know. It's, it's, I just sit there for 45 minutes and just chew popcorn on stage. And then for the last 15 <laughs> minutes, I talk. Um, <laughs> it's not the most fun lecture, but hell. Uh, no, I, here's the advice I, I could give anybody. Everybody gives up too easy. Every single person gives up too easy. Out here, in, in, as, as doing something in, this, in Hollywood, they have something that's called the 10-year the, the mark. Mm-hmm. Most people are out here 10 years before they really do something. Five years, 10 years. But 
in, in any kind of art field, biggest thing is people send their stuff in and then they get rejected and they're like, well, man, that's no good in that voice. Exactly. And, and then uh, they quit. and then they quit. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is you never know. Did an art director just have a bad day? Did he see 50 portfolios before yours and just as burnt out? Right. Does, you know, maybe he doesn't like people from Wisconsin. Just kidding. Everyone knows me. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you, you've got to just resend and resend and redo and redo because, you know, every piece that you do, you're going to get better and you're going to get better. And that's, that's the biggest advice I could give anybody is just don't, don't stop and don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. That's all I've got. It ties into the rest of the show too. So that was, that was great. Um, um, and if you happen to see Julius Caesar crying anywhere, pat him on the back. <laughs> yeah, he needs the encouragement. <laughs> it is a great story, by the way. As soon as I heard it, I was like, I know where he's going. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Uh, another thing that's one of my favorites is our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler. That was a segue beyond all segues. Seg- yeah, we so call it Segway Man. Segway. Segway Man came segway in. Man. Well, we've had 149 episodes now to, get, to, to learn <laughs> Speaking something. Speaking of episodes. Speaking of getting better as you do things over and over. Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, the Masters, Masters of Modern. Modern, our sister podcast. Thanks a lot, Rob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those guys talk about the modern format. Modern Masters of the Set just came out. They're going to be the place to go to learn all about all those cards you got and what you should do with them. You can find them on Twitter at the MMCast. You can also find them right next to us at collected.company, which is where Rob's going on his phone right now, which is our new magic hub. Yep. And our editor for the show, we gave him a lot of footage. He's going to be doing a lot of cool cutting in between Rob painting and us talking about it. His name is Terry Robertson. You can find Hi, him. Hi, Terry. Hey, Terry. Thanks. You can find him and his work at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. That's where all of our videos are. And the awesome Jeffrey Palmer has done the living card animations that start and end all of the shows. So make sure you guys check that out because you definitely do not want to miss the video version of this podcast. Guaranteed. This, of all of our shows, this is the most important one to watch the video, I would say, because watching Rob Paint is going to be like... Well, Pretty sweet. It's actually going to be like not non-existent at all if you're an audio only. Yeah. I want to be able to give somebody an award and then after they come up for the award... Say somebody else got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you had to bring that up, dude. <laughs> yeah, here. that's right. Well, Sorry. That's okay. You just need to host any sort of show, evidently. It yeah. happens all the time. And have Warren Beatty come up. Yeah. Just kidding, Warren. Well, poor Warren. Poor, poor, uh, poor, poor, poor Steve. It happened at Miss Universe or something, too, right? So yeah. You could be, uh, well, oh, now, yeah. now he's off the hook. Yeah. Right? That's so, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And well, on we a total are, tangent. We are in La La Land, so it we, is fitting. It's true. That, that is the moonlight segment of we our did, show. We did have some, <laughs> we did have some humming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make sure you guys follow Rob at Prior to Art on Twitter, uh, Rob Prior Official on Facebook. All of the links are going to be below. And he also has a YouTube channel, so make sure you check that out to see more of his awesome work. Thanks for being on the show, man. Man, I'm, thank you guys for having me on the show. Much appreciated. Man, I'm going to go cuss for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.